want to go ahead and welcome all of you guys to Victory today. Uh, and I want to say, because we've said it a few times already, it was told you in the door, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in the house. How many got your Jerry Lees give out? Come on, how many hold it up, wave it around? How many excited about that? That's better than what we gave you last year, all right, everybody? Because we didn't give you nothing last year, so it was... This is a good gift. We thought it'd be fun to give you some boudin on this auspicious Father's Day. If you don't like boudin, you can turn in your card right up here, all right? If you just want to go ahead and bring it to the front and lay it at the altar and I will pick them all up, all right? If you don't don't enjoy boudin, we just thought it'd be an awesome, awesome thing for you. And then we have the photo wall out there with all the tools on it. That is not a give out, all right, everybody? That is not... That is not free to take because we need those around here at the church. That is all the tools we use to do things around here. So if you take something, God is watching you on your way out, all right? And we are also watching you, all right? We have people, you don't even see them. We got people watching that wall out there. But we thought about it for a Father's Day gift is to do away with the photo wall altogether. We thought that would be a good Father's Day gift that you wouldn't have to take a photo. But we put it up there. And so we're just going to hold you. get one picture, ladies, all right? You get one Picture at the photo wall, and it's Happy Father's Day, so you got to move on. Just keep on moving on. It's good enough, you'll get another one later, all right? So that, that's just our rules for that. And then finally, by special request, because um, we do this every year for Mother's Day, we went ahead and put some blank Father's Day cards in the ladies' bathroom for you guys to take, all right? So if you forgot, if you need that, right? <laughs> we didn't think it was probable, but if you did, it's in the ladies' day. And you can help solve a bet for us. On whether or not more cards are taken on Mother's Day or more cards are taken on Father's Day, all right? And so go ahead and do that. No taking more than one. You only get one. And go ahead and uh, help us out and see which one. I won't tell you which of the staff is betting on which side of that, all right? So you guys, I I won't even tell you the spread, all right? You guys can just guess whatever that is. But happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. Go ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with uh, if you haven't already. And so we're going to study God's word together. As you do, I want to say something here at the outset as we begin to study God's word. and We we kind of get into the message today. And that is we do celebrate the fathers of our church today. It is something that we honor, something that we celebrate. But I also want to call to attention, bring kind of to the forefront, uh, that this day may mean something different to others in our church family. Uh, That for some people, this is kind of a bittersweet day. Those of you who have lost a father. Uh, Those of you maybe a few years ago or maybe it's been very recent and you're walking through that kind of bittersweet memories, but also the pain of today. I want you to know we grieve with you and I want us not to forget. I want us to be cognizant of the fact that some people view this day a little bit differently. And so I want us as a church family to wrap our our arms around all of our church family. That we lift you up. I want you to know we're praying for you, for those who maybe you've suffered that loss. For others of you, you've experienced the wounds of a father. And maybe they were abusive or emotionally distant or maybe they were just physically absent and you've suffered those things. And so today is more of a day of pain. And so I want us as a church, I want you to know that we pray and we encourage and we stand with you. That we want to pray over you. And more than any of that, we love you. But more than that, your heavenly father loves you. And so we want you to know that. We want you to know that we love you. And I want us just to be cognizant of that on this day. And then finally, some of you who are filling the role of a father. Some of you who have stepped into that role Uh, And stepped up to the plate when someone else stepped away. And those of you who are feeling grandparents or moms, those of you who are trying to do that and feel that, I want you to know we honor you as well. That we honor what you're doing and we honor what you're attempting and we honor those things. We we celebrate with you as well on this day. And so I want to study a story in the Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning. And Jesus tells a story about the heavenly father. And he tells us in this parable that I want to look at today. He tells a story about a father and his two sons. 
And I think there are some things we can learn from this story on this Father's Day. Because normally we look at this from the vantage point of the son. But today I want to look at it through a little bit of a different lens and look at it through the eyes of the father. Because Jesus tells this story, and we look at it from the eyes of the son, because it's called the prodigal son. It's a story a lot of us know, and we've probably heard before. But I think on Father's Day, there are some lessons we can learn from our heavenly father in the way that he treats his children. I think there's some things, and there's a son who comes to his dad, and as the story goes, he says, Dad, I kind of want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. I wish that's what it meant in that culture. I wish you were already gone. I don't want the relationship anymore. I just want the money. And so he comes to his father. He says, I just want the money. Just go ahead and divide it up between me. And the father does this. And he says, okay, he divides the inheritance between the younger and the older son. And the younger son takes his inheritance and he leaves. He just jets. He, he gets out of town. He leaves with all of the money. And he goes to a faraway land, kind of like our modern day Las Vegas. And he begins to gamble and drink and do drugs and all the whole works. And he does everything in reckless living and wastes all of the money. Well, one day the son wakes up and realizes there's a famine in that land and all the jobs have dried up and there's no food and there's no place for him to be. And he's wasted all of his father's money. And so he goes and he hires himself out as a pig keeper. He goes and works on a pig keeper's ranch. And that, that doesn't land culturally with us all that much. Because to us, it may, it may sound like maybe a smelly job. Or to us, honestly, pigs are either food or for some, it's their pets. And for some, in our culture, pigs are not, we, we just think of them as this, it, not as, as culturally landing as it would be for the people Jesus is talking to. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a pig. I don't know if you've ever seen a hog. Anybody ever seen a hog? Because you haven't seen a pig till you've seen a hog. Come on. 700-pound monster running around. Like, I had a buddy in high school who raised hogs. It was just... And so I helped him feed him twice. Just twice, everybody. Because if you get between a hog and his food, you are the food. All right? You understand that? Like, you quickly become whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. You become his next meal. And so these big monsters, when you feed them, it's this smell. You get the right month-old bread, and you got the you know, year-old milk, and you're mixing it all together, and it smells horrible. But to us, this wouldn't have landed the way it would to who Jesus was talking to. Because in the Jewish culture, in his audience's culture, this would have been the lowest of the low that this young man could have done. Because to them, pigs were considered unclean. And so you couldn't touch them, you couldn't be around them, you certainly couldn't eat them. And so to be a pig, this would have represented, there were no pig farmers in their country, you understand that. There, this wasn't a thing. And so he's saying for him to hire himself out as this, he would have been as far distanced, as far disconnected from his father's traditions, his father's household, as he could possibly go. And so he finds himself being a pig keeper. He finds himself waking up in the pig pen. And we'll pick up the story in verse 16. It says, the young man, he becomes so hungry at that point. And those of you who have fed hogs, this will land with you, I promise. He became so hungry at that point that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. Come on, I have never been that hungry. I don't know if any of you. The pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And that's just a short principle. It's free today. That the further you run, when you reject authority, the further and further you run from it, eventually you'll find yourself in a place where ain't nobody coming to bail you out. And nobody coming on that play. That's just free for you today. That'll help you, everybody. In a culture of entitlement. But he wakes up and realizes, hey, maybe dad knew a little something more than I knew, right? Because he finds himself. The Bible says, watch this in the next verse. He came to his senses, one translation says. He wakes up in this, this pig's pen. And the Bible says he came to his senses. He realized, hey, maybe dad's a little smarter than I gave him credit for. He begins to think, okay, maybe I remember there was something. I remember it, it was better than where I am right now. Better than the lowest of the low. He said, maybe, maybe my dad's a little smarter. Maybe there's safety and there's provision and there's something for me in my father's house. But you read the story. The boy says to himself, he says, but I'm no longer qualified to be a son. 
He comes to his senses. He realizes, okay, there was safety and there was provision in my father's house. There was, it was more than I gave him credit for. But then he says, well, there's no way I could still be a son. What I've done is too horrible. What I've, what I've done is I've, I've run too far. But maybe I could hire myself back on as a servant. Because even then, maybe I would have a place to sleep and I would have food to eat. And so the Bible says he started his journey home with this strategy. He's going to be a servant. He's going to hire himself out. But then I love in verse 20, it says he came home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And I love the Bible says next verse, he says he was filled with love and compassion. We're going to talk about this a little today. And he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't judge him. He wasn't mad at him. He welcomed him back home. He welcomed him back home. He embraced him and he kissed him. In fact, the Bible said, he said, quick, bring the sandals and bring the robe and put it on my son. Watch this in the next verse. He said, put it, throw it on him, the finest robe in the house. Put a ring on his finger, get sandals on his feet. And he said, bring, bring everything. And this would have represent restoring the relationship. He says, you're not going to come into my house, smell it and looking like a pig farmer. You're not going to be a servant. You're going to be a son. He said, put the robe on him, put the ring on his finger. That would have been the father's authority. He says, put, put the sandals on his feet. I'm, I'm gonna, everything we can do, celebrate because my son that was lost is now found. He says, he's come home and the father begins just to put all, he's indulging all over him and he can. And then he says, and take the calf, right? He says, take the calf that we've been fattening. We're going to celebrate a feast and, and slaughter it and invite everybody that we can. I'm going to tell them how proud I am. My son has come home. We're going to celebrate together. And you see the heart of this father as he welcomes his son home. And then on top of that, verse 23, he said, we're going to have this huge party. And then the son who had stayed home, this older son who's in the field, the Bible says he approaches the house and he hears this celebration. And so he asks what's going on. And he realizes what has happened, what his father has done. And he, like many of us, gets jaded and and disillusioned. And he gets angry, he gets upset at the father. And he says, what's this you've done? You've done, I've been with you all this time. I never left you. I never ran like he did. I've helped you in all these years. I've done all, and you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. I don't know what's going on here. You didn't give me nothing to go celebrate. And here you slaughter the calf and throw in the celebration. And the father comes to him. He said, look, you need to understand something. You've always stayed with me. You've always been with me through all this time, all these years. In other words, you haven't taken advantage of the relationship. Everything is available to you. Everything I have is yours Everything that you were probably, everything I've given you is yours, but you need to understand something. Your brother who was lost is now found. He was far. We thought he was dead, but now he's alive again. He says, you, you need to understand we're going to celebrate for that. And by the way, this is just another one of those. It's not what the story's about, but this is just a free principle. As fathers, we can either create or diffuse tension between siblings and between our children. This is something we need to understand clearly that you can either create or diffuse. And so this father is handling that in those. You see this in the Bible all the time where Jacob and Isaac messed this up in the Old Testament. And Joseph was almost killed on the way to his his destiny because of this, because they didn't manage it correctly. But you see this father's heart as he begins to handle the situation. He welcomes this estranged son back home. He begins to welcome him back home to his house and he begins to love him and to throw this party and he welcomes in those things. And I think there are things we can learn from our heavenly father because that's who this father represents. There are things we can learn from him in the way that we treat our children, in the way that we treat each other. I think there are great parenting principles in this message. And before you cash out on me completely, I think there's great relationship principles in this. That it's not just speaking to fathers. I think between spouses, I think between relationships and friendships, things that we have with people in our world. I think that there's some great lessons we learn from our heavenly father as we see how this father treats his children. Because I think there's also some great messages this morning for fathers in our house. 
Fathers in our church, fathers who are working and struggling and doing the best that they can. Because I think there's some messages we can learn because the odds are stacked against us. If I can just be honest today, this morning, the odds are stacked against fathers in our culture. Because you can't go a movie to another movie where Hollywood is not trying to portray fathers as some bumbling idiot or some, you know, somebody out of touch with the world or somebody who doesn't have good advice or, or just can't know, you know, how the world really works. You can't watch a sitcom without realizing where they just try to portray the father as somebody who's just distant, doesn't know what his kids are going through, can't really give any good advice, doesn't know how things actually work in the real world. They try to, the odds are stacked against us. And so it's hard to be a father in this culture. And there's so many things that you're struggling against. There's so many setbacks, so many things where the odds are just stacked up against being in the role of a father. I want you to know the devil's trying to attack that role. The devil's trying to undercut it. Where we wouldn't have that influence in our children's lives or in our family's lives. We're trying to steal whatever influence that God gave us. And so I want you to know that we begin to pray as a church that we stand for the role of the father. That we pray over you. That we celebrate that role. That I'm not up here to beat you up, everybody, all right? I'm here to celebrate you. That I'm here to tell you how much we honor you. Can I just say that as well? How proud I am of the fathers in our church. How proud I am. Yeah, you can give it. Come on. How proud I am of the role that you feel, of how you're doing things and what you're, what you're doing. And I promise you, I know none of us are perfect, all right? <laughs> none of us are perfect. I don't care how perfect you think you are. None of us are perfect. But your perfection is not what your kids are looking for. They're looking for your presence. They want you to be present. They want you to be available. They want you to be in their lives. And so that's who we are as fathers. That we're trying our best. They want you to be engaged. And so I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. And I know you don't make all the right choices. I blow it all the time. There's not a week that goes by in my house that I don't have to go and apologize for something that I did or something I said. Where I just say, hey, I was wrong. I messed up. I said that. I did that. I was wrong. Can you forgive me? But we're trying and we're working our way out and we're trying to figure out some things. And then there are some of you that have gone where you came from a fatherless generation, where you didn't, you weren't fathered for whatever reason. And so now with your children, you're trying to learn and trying to do. I want you to know we stand with you. We encourage you. We honor you. We celebrate with you. And so I'm not trying to beat up dads today on Father's Day. I think we can learn from our heavenly father. I just want to help you, give you some tools that will help you become a better dad. You ready for this, everybody? All right. You agreed with me. We're going to celebrate. We're going to honor. We're going to lift each other up, knowing we're not perfect, but looking at the father who is. Looking at the father who is. So I want to study that today. Let me give you three things. Number one, the first thing great fathers provide is safety. First thing we can learn that our heavenly father provides is safety. There's something safe about his father's house. If this boy wakes up. He's in the pig pen. He's far away from it. He's, he's years removed. He's wasted everything. He wakes up in the pig pen. But there's something about his father's house. It says he came to his senses. That he realized, hey, there was, there was safety there. There was provision in my father's house. Maybe I thought he was irrelevant. And maybe I thought he was out of touch. But there was just something safe about my father's house. And so that's where I went. His lowest moment. That's where I'll return. That's where I'll go back. There's something attractive about father's house, something I can glean from my father. And as fathers, we provide an environment of safety. That we give that environment of safety. What does that look like? Give a couple of things that help create that. One of them is consistency. Consistency. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no shadow of turning. And how many know when you go to the father, his response is always the same. That he loves us, that he cares for us. There is consistency in we as fathers. Honestly, us as parents, we need to have that consistency in our lives. That, and that starts with consistency, fathers, consistency in our emotions, in the way that we react, that we know we're even keeled, that they're not walking on pins and needles around us, waiting for us just to blow up at any moment for whatever little thing. There's consistency in our emotions. It's important for us to have routines. 
Now, Father, hear me. You can be creative. You can be impulsive. I'm not saying that. But there needs to be some routines in your life that your children are able to rely on. There needs to be some routines, whether we're going to do this type of vacation. We're always going to go together at this weekly routines, daily devotional routines. There needs to be something that they're able to lean back on and say there is consistency that brings safety in my father's house. There's consistency there to have certain things that we do. And I really believe in our home, Alyssa is kind of the catalyst of all the creative ideas and all the incredible things and, and things coming up with things to do. But I believe the weight falls on me. The weight falls on me to begin to make sure that we do those things as a family. That we do those things together as we have a spirituality, that we begin to have these things, that we have routines that we set, that we do. I believe that role falls on me and consistency. But more than any earthly father, our heavenly father brings that consistency. Our heavenly father that doesn't blow up at us at the smallest little thing. Our heavenly father that doesn't leave us because we offended him that day or because we did something. He doesn't, doesn't leave us or forsake us. Our heavenly father who loves us, who brings us that safety. That's what we're striving to be. And we have that consistency in our lives. We're consistent in our emotions. Do we have create consistency, especially in the area of spirituality? I want to read this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Mothers and fathers, as we begin to, to navigate this, as you're raising children, as you're pouring into spiritual sons and daughters, as you begin to raise this, watch this verse in Deuteronomy. It says, memorize his laws. And it's talking to those who are parents. It's talking to those who care for the children. He says, memorize his laws, the laws of God, and tell them to your children over and over again. Watch this. He doesn't say just tell them once. And then he tells them over and over again. Because with my kids, one day I'm going to leave planet Earth. Come on, everybody. One day I'm out of here. I'm heading to heaven. And so I don't want them. And what I know they won't say is, you remember that thing dad said 60 years ago that one time? That was really smart. That was really, and they won't say that. They won't remember. They won't remember what I said say one time. They remember what you say over and over and over. And you want to have consistency and spirituality in your family. Memorize his laws, but tell them to your children over and over again. Begin to work that. You parents of young children, begin to work that right now into a routine. To have that consistency. You parents of older children, begin to work it back in. Begin to say, I'm going to work this. I'm going to have over and over that. I'm going to bring this into their life. And especially as fathers to have that responsibility of memorizing God's word. It says, talk about them all of the time. Talk about them, especially as fathers. Because I believe that fathers are the spiritual and authority in the household. I don't know, you may call it old-fashioned and antiquated, whatever. It's just Bible, all right, everybody? I believe that we have a spiritual covering over the house. That it's my job to make sure my wife and kids have this safe environment of spirituality. This safe environment of being able to learn God's word. And then you memorize his word. Mothers and fathers. You memorize his word. And I need to be able to hear from God. So that I can help my children hear from God. Do you understand? I, I need to have that relationship with him. I need to know God's law. I need to begin to memorize his word. So that I can help someone else also hear from God. Because I can't give what I don't have. You understand that? If I don't have a strong relationship with him. I'm not passing that on to my children. We have to have that relationship, that consistency in our lives. We have to memorize God's laws and then tell them to our children. Tell them more than once, over and over. And then it gives you some practical ideas. I just want to share these with you right out of God's word. When you can do those things. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home. And so for some of you, that may be the dinner table where you all come together. And you may not be able to do it every night. But as often as you can. That you're all together and you're sharing with your children. You're getting into their lives. You're talking about things that they went through. Things that they're curious about. And then you're working the spirituality, the Lord's laws and his principles into their life. You're able to have those things. And so it's not just a chance for wherever I can grab food from or wherever I can do. No, you have that opportunity. Have the opportunity to be in their life. To sit and to pour into them. Bringing spirituality. Then it says, and then when you walk along the road. And since modern day culture, that's in the car, everybody. I don't know if you understand that. When you walk along the road, because I know when my kids get in the car, 
We're going to talk about anything under the sun, all right? We're going to just talk about everything because that seatbelt means they have to talk to me, all right? They are stuck in my car, everybody. And so I take my kids, excuse me, I take my kids on dates as often as I can because they're easier to parent one at a time. Come on, say amen, somebody. It's easier when you get them alone. I don't know why that is. just a miracle. But I, I take my kids on dates in the car, and they know when they get in my truck, I'm going to talk to them about anything under the sun, and we're always going to come back to something that God said. Something, I don't care how it applies, I'm like the father in my big fat Greek wedding. I'm going to bring it back somehow to whatever it is that the Word of God says. We're going to talk about those things. They know that's going to happen. And we pour ourselves into them. For some of you that drive your kids to school, praying in the morning, praying the armor of God before they get into that school. Come on, praying over them before they step on that bus. We need to memorize God's law and then tell it to our children over and over again. Over and over again to have that consistency. And then it says when they go to bed at night, when they rise up in the morning, these are times of devotion. Times that you set that example. Where you may not be having a devotion with them, but they see you having your own devotion. They see you have it. They, they know what their mom and their dad, they know that they begin to leave. They know they see grandma and grandpa. They see that example that they set. They begin to see that, that example that they set, that they believe in God, that they have their own strength, their own source, that they begin to lean on him. And then in tough times, they see who you run to. Kids are, are more cognizant than you give them credit for. In tough times, they see who you run to. They see who you lean on. They see if you're trying to do it under your own strength or if you're leaning on the heavenly father. So we provide that sense of safety, that sense of security in that environment. And then, of course, another thing that brings safety is stability. We need to bring stability. Fathers, I'll just speak to you. We need to bring the stability in our homes. And that starts in the areas of our emotions. Such in our areas that we need to not be able, we need to not just be this powder keg walking around that suddenly would blow up at any little thing. That we come home with all the stresses and all the ideas and all the things that have been done to us in the work day and around the, you know, around the water cooler, whatever it is. We bring all of those things inside and then we blow up and we take it out on the ones who can't even respond. That's a weak move, everybody. That you would take it out on those that can't fight back, those that can't. And so we need to absorb that stress, absorb those things that happen and then we leave it outside of our homes. We leave it outside. Those of you that care for children, those of you who are raising them, we need to begin to, you absorb those things. That's what we honor and celebrate. You absorb those things that happen, but then you don't take it out on those who are the weakest. You don't begin to take that out. You begin to show them what even killed means. Begin to show them that we bring stability. And the young man in the story, we bring this idea of safety. The story, and he knew that. Number two, fathers provide direction. The Bible says our father in heaven orders our steps. He's a light to our path, that he is the anchor to our souls in times of trouble, that he brings direction to our lives. He's the one that gives purpose. The creator brings the purpose. You understand that? And so we need to begin to bring direction into our kids' lives and their futures. Proverbs 22, you probably heard this verse before. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And that word train there means to initiate or to to bring a palate for, to begin to create a palate for. This idea that you would create this palate, this, this thing that they'll desire in life. There's this wide range of desires, this appetite for certain things. And from the Bible, it says, then the verse says, and if you do that, if you begin to train them up in that, even when they're old, they won't depart from it. You begin to initiate those desires. Why? Because you've trained them into what to find comfort in. You've trained them into what to find health in. You've trained them into how to do that. So the things that they yearn for, the things they desire, you've trained in them with their young. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. So you begin to think everything through that lens. What am I investing into my child's life? 
What, what am I investing into your kids? Because it's like food, honestly, if you think about it. If you feed that kid macaroni and cheese, right, and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for 20 years of their life, you are sabotaging their missionary career already. I'll just tell you that right now, all right, everybody? You just Because they're not going to eat nothing outside of American cuisine. They're just never going to eat anything around the world. But parents, you know it's important for your kids to eat red and green and yellow foods. It's important to have that wide variety of things. It's important to give them a palate for that when they're young. The same is true in spirituality. What are we creating a palate for in our kids when they're young? What are you creating a palate for? Is it academia? Is it, is it sports? Is it politics? Is it faith? What are we creating a desire for when they're young? Because the Bible says you create that desire and they won't depart from it when they grow older. You create that in them, that they say they know where their comfort, their strength lies, that it's not in their sports, their strength's not in their academics, it's in their God. And so we begin to create that spirituality, we ingrain with them as they're young. So we run everything through the idea of what am I instituting, what am I ingraining into the lives of my kids? What am I ingrained? Because all those things are, but it's important my kids are competitive. It's important that they, they know how to interact with the world around them. It's important that they, they do all of these things, that they're able to live their life. But most important of all is that they love the Lord their God, that they're in love with Jesus and they love their purpose that God has given them. And that they're falling in love with the Lord every single day, that they're in love with the Holy Spirit in step with his word. That's the most important thing of all. So all those other things are important. Learn and train them and do those things. But what are we creating the palate for? What are we actually instituting in their life that they could hear from the life? Because then the Bible says when they're old, they won't depart from it. And then I love this word here. It says in the way that he should go. That word way there actually means it's individually and uniquely for each person. That's why the Amplified Version goes on to talk about these, these wisdom and will and abilities and talents. That's, that's why it goes on to talk about those. Because every single one is different. Every single purpose. I don't know if you know this. Every single person is different. I got three kids at home and they could not be more different from me. It could not, they could not be far, more far apart from each other in the things that they like, in the way that they act in the way they respond to authority, in the way that they, they enjoy making things, the way they exercise, the way they view the world. They, they could not be more different. Like, I got one that you can't sit within 10 feet of him without him wanting a hug. Come on, somebody. He just wants to be close to you. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to... That, that, that's his love language. He just loves that. And honestly, I look forward to it every time I sit next to him. I just go sit next to him just for no reason, just to get a hug, right? Just to get... But it fills his tank. I got another one. He's like, don't touch me, right? Don't, you don't, I'm good, right? You don't, you don't have to touch me for the rest of your life. You're good. You just don't have to, like, I'm just, I'm embarrassed to hold my hand at eight years old. It's just, it's, just, it's a thing. But his, his love language, honestly, all of it, it's for quality time. Just, just time spent. He doesn't have to be closed. You don't have to be holding his hand, but just time spent with him. And I figured that out last week. I was uh, had to run some errands to UPS and Home Depot. Come on, the promised land, everybody. And so I was like, Elijah, you want to you go run some errands? And he's like, yeah. So he jumps in the car and we pull out on Flannery. And he's like, you know, they opened a lit pizza now. And I was like, that's a, that's a really good idea. I, I just, I just, this idea popped into my head. And so we ate lit pizza on the way to Home Depot. Come on, that's paradise, everybody. That's just... But just having that, and so I just learned that's what his love language is, brought him home. And so now that I know, a couple of days later last week, I was like, hey, Elijah, you want to go run some errands? He's like, yeah, I want to go. And Hava, our little daughter, she's like, I'll come too. And Elijah's like, oh, come on. You know, just <laughs> quality time, quality time. You just have those. <laughs> They're all different. So it's important for us to recognize those in kids. It's important for us to recognize what it is that fills their tank, what it is that shows love, because each one is different. Train them in the way that they should go. Talents and abilities. Begin to show them how God's purpose is for them. Begin to speak life into them. Begin to train them in the way that they should go. 
Let me just say this. Train them. Don't provoke them. Come on, somebody. That's just, I don't speak to somebody right there. Put that on a bumper sticker. But watch this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, train them. Don't provoke them. Because it says fathers. And I love how it's addressed to us in Ephesians 6. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way that you treat them. Why does he have to say that to those things? Because some fathers think it's funny to aggravate their kids. Come on, the Bible says don't do that, dads. Maybe funny for you, it's not good for the kids. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And I believe this is speaking to us with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Because there are seasons of life where you need to discipline, seasons of life where you need to instruct Because you're beginning to raise them in the way of the Lord. You're beginning to raise them in their own special giftings and talents. You're beginning to discipline and instruct. As you begin to teach them, that's not an appropriate response to that situation. This is how we relate to others. This is how we choose friends. This is how we we move in the way. This is how we relate and how we, we witness. And this is how we do these. You begin to train them and instruct them. That's our role. Not to provoke them. Come on. Your role is not to make them as aggravated as you could possibly. You can embarrass them, but we don't provoke them. Come on, dads. You can do those things, but we begin to train and instruct. You train and instruct them in the way that they should go, just shaping their worldview, helping them to see that their confidence doesn't come from other people. Their confidence comes from the Lord. Beginning to train them that their mom and dad love them, that you are in their life, that you're continuing to raise them. We're trying to train them. And then in their teenage years, you begin to coach them in life. Come on, that's your role. You're not living their life for them. You're coaching them in them, all right? Some some parents misunderstand their role. You're the coach. You're not the player. You're not like, you know, stand on the sideline. I'll shoot the foul shot for you. You're coaching them in their life. Begin to Coaches, come on, coaches do have some privileges. Coaches get to call the timeouts. Coaches get to sometimes remove them from the game and give them a little instruction along the way. But parents, this is your kids in their teenage years. You're beginning to coach them, beginning to train them. Beginning to show them what to do. Because eventually, when they hit 18, 19, you are going to release them as a man or a woman of God to then live their life. You're going to begin to release them to live out their purpose. That's what you're training and preparing them for. And some of y'all, I'll just give this to you right now. Some of y'all are trying to parent a child who's way beyond 19. You need to wake up. They're not a child anymore. They're now an adult. And that's not training and, and coaching anymore. That's friendship area there. You, need to, you can give some advice, but they make their own decisions there. And some of you need to go ahead and release your child, your adult child that you've been doing. Because if you're still trying to hover over a 25-year-old, you're doing something wrong, all right, everybody? If you're still trying to, to hover over, I know it's not popular, but it'll help you, all right? It'll, it'll give you some advice. But I can't tell you as a boss. I'll just stay right here for a second. I can't tell you as a boss. We got about 45, 50 employees here on the campus during the week. How many times I've had a parent of an employee call to go to bat? Not, not a parent of a child in the academy. A parent of an employee, a mom, call in to go to bat for their child. How many know you just sunk your adult child's chances right there? Like you just, you just, if they weren't already on the way out, they're on the way out now. I don't need, I don't need mama calling in every, you know, trying to go to bat for their child. And so those of you who are enabling a child long past when it's training and discipline time, just know that the rest of us are looking at you, all right? We're just doing the thing. <laughs> I'll just leave that right there. Where were we? Where were we in this thing? (laughs) I think, honestly, we do have a problem, though. And honestly, I think this is a freeing message for some of you. This might be a free. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But this might be a freeing message that at some point they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to move on from that. And so you've got to also live your life, everybody. And incidentally, I think it's one of the problems we have of not releasing. One of the problems we have of not releasing them to then go and make their own mistakes sometimes, but then also to flourish and to live out the purpose God has given them. We've got to release and I love this part of the story because this good father, he's the image of the heavenly father. He allows his son to leave. 
When his son said, Dad, give me my inheritance, I'm going off to Las Vegas. When he said that, the, son didn't, the dad didn't get down on his hands and knees and like, look, I don't, I don't care. You can live however you want to. You can, you can smoke whatever you want, drink whatever. You just live in our basement as long as we know you're safe in here. You just stay, just stay. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, I'm going to divide the inheritance. You can live how you want to, but you're going to go. He said, you can, you can live how you want to, but you've got you've to go and you've got to go. And, do it. and watch this in the story because it's not till the father lets him go and it's not till the son hits rock bottom that he's able to come to his senses and return. And some of you that have that thing, that have a child that you haven't released or have that, that thing where you're prohibiting your child sometimes from hitting rock bottom and finding Jesus because there's nowhere else to turn. You're enabling those behaviors. Stop enabling indecent and inappropriate behavior. Stop enabling that. Stop allowing them to be lazy. Stop delaying maturity by allowing them to still be a child in their 30s. Stop stop delaying that. And then be confident in this if you're taking notes. Watch this. Parents control the inputs, but children control the outcomes. And some of you need to to write that down. Some of you need to speak that to your own heart. Because some of you have been beating yourself up for far too long for a decision your adult child made. The decisions that they made, you begin to beat yourself up for them. You can't hold yourself responsible for the decisions another adult has made. Because this comes back to the mindset of they're not a child anymore, they're an adult. You train and discipline, you do the best that you can, but eventually they make their own decisions. Each one rises and falls before his own master. Each person works out their own salvation. Each one makes their own choices. And so you can't beat yourself up year after year after year over a choice that your child, your adult child made. Some of you parents need to live, let yourself off the hook. And honestly, this is, this is a hard part of the thing to preach. This is something that I think this is something that needs to be heard for healing to happen. You need to stop beating yourself up and start thinking, maybe we disciplined too much or maybe we, we didn't discipline enough or maybe, you know, we said this or we did that. Maybe we, we should have been there more. Maybe we should have worked less or maybe we should have gone on more vacations. You're trying to work all these things. You're letting the devil beat you up year after year after year. I'm trying to think. Some of you are saying, well, maybe it was when we bought that cat. Maybe when we bought that, you know, we just... Some, <laughs> That's just something maybe you should evaluate. I don't know. You just think a thing. <laughs> Children control the outcomes. We have to release them to make the decisions that they're making. And then I believe we're praying for this in Malachi. It says and that he would bring the hearts of the children back to the fathers, hearts of the fathers back to the children. I believe I'm praying for that, that there would be reconciliation. That he would have that healing in there that only Jesus can bring. So the only reconciliation that only the master can bring. And we're praying for that. We're praying. It's my prayer this Father's Day that there would be reconciliation that would take place. Because that's the father's role. The final one as we close, number three, is that is that fathers provide forgiveness. Provide forgiveness. When you have kids that go sideways, and I love the heart of the father when a son comes to him and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you'd just give me all my money. I wish you were just, you know, you were gone already. The father, he does it. And the father lets him go. But he doesn't write him off and he doesn't write him out of the will and he doesn't think, you know, just how could you do this? He doesn't, I can't believe you're so ungrateful. He doesn't go into a tirade against him. I can't believe you would do this to me. I, all that I've poured into you and all that I've done for you, how can you be, how can you, why can't you be more like your brother? He doesn't do that. He doesn't tirade against him. I, how can you just not know? Your brother knows that I'm a good father. Your brother knows that I've done these things. Your brother knows. Why, why you got to curse the family like this? Why you got to bring shame on my name? Why you got to do these things to me? You're dead to me. It's not what the father does. The father didn't do any of that. The father lets him go. The father lets him run. And then he waits every day on the doorstep of that house. And he looks down the road. And he waits for his son to come home. 
discipline, training. He does all those things. The father lets him go and then he waits on the doorstep. Watch this in verse 20 because he's watching. In verse 20, he says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I was still a long way up. He saw him coming. I love the fact he's filled with love and compassion. And he ran to his son. He embraced him. And he kissed him. That's the true heart of a father. That's the true heart of the father. I tell my kids all the time, look, I expect you to mess up. I just expect you. I expect you to blow it. And the the older you get, the different level, you're going to blow it even more. That's why I'm in your life. That's why God gives us fathers and mothers. Why he gives us spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. Because if you got it right all the time, you wouldn't need any oversight. You wouldn't need any authority. That's why he gives you. And I want them to know that when you do blow it, when you do mess up, when these things do get out, I want you to run to me, not away from me. I want you to run away from me. I want you to run to me because I can help you. I want you to help you. I want to help you to make it right. And I want you to know you're not at the age of maturity yet to make those decisions. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to train and direct, but I want to help you in any way that I can. And this father runs to his son, the son who's been gone, the son who's wasted everything, the son who wasted half of his father's inheritance, wasted everything that he could in this land. The father's still watching every day for him to come home. And I want you to know that our heavenly father does the same. That he loves us. And I also want you to know that there are some of you today that don't believe that. Because for whatever reason, maybe your father was absent or missing. Maybe he was physically abusive or emotionally distant or he was missing altogether. And so you can't possibly imagine that the heavenly father could love you. I want you to know that he loves you more than any earthly father ever could. And that no matter how far you've run and no matter how far you've gone, that he loves you and he's waiting for you to come back. That he's not mad at you for the decisions that you've made. He's not looking to get even with you for because you ran away. He's not, he's not looking to condemn you or looking to, to judge you in this way. And he wants you to come back because he wants to love and forgive you. His heart is filled with compassion. The Heavenly Father is watching for you to come home. There's a song, an old song in the 80s. And it's kind of a, a, a hokey song. It's kind of got that, that 80s beat to it. And it's, it's kind of like a Tarzan Disney type song. It's just thing. But the words of it are so incredible. It's called When God Ran. And it starts off and it says that Almighty God, everlasting and so incredibly powerful, stronger than anything, powerful, able to do anything, above it all. Stronger than anything you could possibly imagine. But then it says, but the only time I saw him run. The only time I saw God run was when he ran to me. And those of you that have been welcomed by the Father, those of you who know what this is like when you walk back and you're far away on the road, but you make that turn to return home and he sees you far off and God runs to us. He's waiting to come to us. He's waiting to forgive you. He wants to have compassion on you. He's not mad at you for the decisions you make. He loves you and he wants to be your father. Waiting on the doorstep of heaven to welcome you home. He loves you. He has compassion for you. And on this Father's Day, I want you to know he loves you more than any earthly father could. He loves you more than anyone. As we celebrate fathers and we celebrate and honor that, I want you to know that our heavenly father loves you more than you could possibly imagine.
And all he wants is to be in relationship with you. All he wants is to welcome you home. Put a robe on you, put a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet to celebrate. It says all of heaven celebrates when the lost are found. He wants to have a relationship with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray today. Father, I want to pray. God, that you would encourage and strengthen all of the fathers of this house. Lord, it's not an easy task. It's not an easy thing that we're called to do. But I just ask for your strength, Lord. And when we mess up, your forgiveness. Father, give us your peace. Give us your clarity. I just want to pray a blessing over the fathers. Before we do that, though, I would ask today... For those of you, maybe you're here in the room or maybe you're watching online, I would ask you today, are you far from the Heavenly Father? Maybe you woke up one day and you found yourself far from Him. You found yourself running. You found yourself further than you ever thought you would go. Or maybe you've never come to Him. You can't believe that He could possibly love a person like you and so you've run far away from Him. I want you to know that He loves you today. I don't care what anybody else has told you. He wants you. He wants you. His heart is filled with compassion. He's not looking to get even with you. He's not looking to condemn you. He's looking to set you free and to forgive you. He wants you. The Heavenly Father is waiting on heaven's porch today, watching for you. He'll see you afar off, but you have to turn towards him. He wants you. So if that's you today, you say, I want to take that step. I want to return. I want to come to the Father for the first time. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. Be my honor to lead you in that prayer. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. This isn't about embarrassing you. This is about connecting you with Jesus. She said, I want to pray that prayer today. I want to pray a prayer of surrender. We can pray with you. I can give you the words, but you have to say it in your heart. You have to mean it. But if that is you today, you say, I want to come home. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living my own way. I want to surrender my life to him. If that's you today, just say these words and come on church, pray it with them. Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. Lord, I pray that you would touch all of the fathers in our church. Lord, all of those who are trying their best, God, who are living in the role, Father, those who are filling in, God, those who are living as fathers, God, those who are beginning to pour into their children, I pray your strength over them. I thank you, God, our kids aren't looking for perfection. They're just looking for our availability. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be available in the hard times, God. I pray for comfort for those today who have lost their father. God, I pray for comfort for them, Lord. Whether it was years ago or more recently, God, I pray that your peace and your presence would comfort them. And more than that, that you would be the heavenly father in the midst of that struggle. I pray for all of those, Lord, who have been wounded by a father. Lord, whether it's in an abusive relationship, God, or whether it was in a distant relationship, or whether they were absent altogether, Lord, I pray for your comfort. And more than any comfort that any person could bring, I thank you that your love as a father is more than enough. 
Lord, we thank you that you do step in as our Heavenly Father, that you love us more than we could possibly imagine, and that you have purpose and you have life and direction for our lives. I thank you, Lord, for that role that you play. I thank you, God, that you love us more than we love ourselves. You love us more than we could possibly imagine. And once again, Lord, I thank you for the fathers of our house. I celebrate them. We honor them, how proud we are of them, but more than us, that you are proud of them, Lord. As they stand in that spiritual authority, as they stand in that role, Lord, give them strength. As they bring stability, God, as they bring direction, Lord, as they bring protection, God, as they bring spiritual authority, God, as they bring blessing to the lives of their family, I pray a blessing on them, Lord. Lift them up, encourage them, God. Give them strength. Give them wisdom, Lord, in every decision, everything that they do. We'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said amen and amen. Come on, church, we put our hands together for God's name today. You're dismissed as you go, church. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next Sunday morning.